It is amazing when you think about Easter and you think about the power that is there. I have had experiences where I've been in different churches for Easter. And I remember one time my wife and I were on vacation and we went to a church and I don't think anyone even told them it was Easter. I walked out. I'm like, did they even say that word that whole time? Today, I wanted to throw down with some Easter sermon, and I wanted to talk about this Savior. I wanted to talk about the fact that so many times when you encounter people, they will tell you something that Jesus said that he may not have said. Well, you know, in the Bible how it says, and they'll get it twisted. And you're like, oh. I don't know. I mean, they come out with a lot of versions of the Bible. Maybe you have one of those new ones I just haven't read that's totally wrong. But there are things that Jesus never said. And one of the things that Jesus never said is that you get what you deserve. And I am so thankful for that today. The Bible that I own has words that are written in red. The words of Jesus. And today I want to talk about Luke chapter 23 want to dig into that a little bit. We as people, if you're in this room and you're a human, you experience guilt. We all do. You think about that. I was reading about different kinds of guilt. You can be guilty for what you did, for what you didn't do. You can feel guilty. There are people who have food guilt. Like, I totally, I mean, I know. And we've talked. My wife will say, I love sweets. She loves them. Like powdered sugar is her love language. She loves sweets. I can survive on Vienna sausage and rainwater. My wife, she likes, likes that. There are people who have Christian guilt, right? You have this, do I pray enough? Do I read my Bible enough? I'm three days off on my version app, and people are going to know I'm not reading my Bible. You can have parent guilt. If you have children, do I spend enough time with my children? Is enough quality time? Am I loving them the way that I should? You can have general guilt. When you say no, you can feel guilty. When you say yes, you can feel guilty. Some of you felt guilty today when you left the house because you had to put the dog in his kennel, and the way the dog looked at you made you feel guilty leaving. Some of you may feel guilty because your yard looks like a small forest and your retired neighbor's yard looks like a putting green. Right? Guilt. Well, I can stand here and I can say, then for me, like, I got all that. And then there's this thing called pastoral guilt. Oh, my Lord. It just, it seems like for every win, you're like, okay, you know, I'm ministering well over here. And then there's like four different areas that you're missing. It's crazy. It's crazy. Guilt. Going to talk out of Luke chapter 23. Here we have the final hours of Jesus' life here on earth. We have this king that instead of sitting on a throne, he will be nailed to a cross. We have this king that instead of wearing a golden crown, will be wearing one of thorns. This king who instead of being surrounded by dignitaries and the uppity people is surrounded by thieves. Verse 32 of chapter 23 says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him, Jesus, there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other one on his left. Now, when we think of this picture, how many people were on that hill being crucified that day? There were three. 
there were three. And I want you to keep that in mind because we're going to come back around to that. Crucifixion. Crucifixion, we may think that the Romans crucified everyone because it was a cruel government. It's not true. Crucifixion, when you look at it, this word, have you ever heard the word excruciating? I'm in excruciating pain. That actually, ex means from, and that crux part, that comes from cross. So it's almost saying a pain like that of the cross. So even common words that people that may not believe in Jesus, they may throw that around. But when it comes to crucifixion, it was usually reserved as a statement piece. It was set for people they wanted to make an example of. It was set for people that may have been captured in war. It was the most horrible form of death that you can imagine. It was shameful both physically and spiritually speaking. It says in Galatians 3.13 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So when he went to this cross taking on the curse that was for me and you, it goes so much deeper. And it began with this, that after he was arrested, that he was scourged. If you've been in church any amount of time, you've heard the brutality of this. A whip fashioned with pieces of bone, glass, and metal in it. Dom, you posted something yesterday, 39 times. The way that that was made, if you think about it, it wasn't on someone's back. It was made to wrap around you. It was made to wrap and to rip. Literally every square inch of the Savior's body to be covered. It was done in a way to leave you in excruciating pain and you may die of shock. After that, he's nailed to a cross. Nails that were seven to nine inches. Placed in the wrist and historically speaking, some say placed in the heels. The way that people would die when they were crucified. And you may be standing here thinking, what kind of service is this? It's a real service. This isn't flannel board Jesus that I'm going to color with my red and blue crayons. This is Jesus. And this is how it throws down. You would die from asphyxiation. Because every breath you took, took two movements. It was pushing up on feet that were place on a cross with a spike and it was pulling up with your hands every single breath required those two movements it was something that could take a matter of four days it was something that was expensive because they had to pay four roman soldiers to stay on guard the entire time that you were there it wasn't something that was light it wasn't something that was thrown around their act of mercy after so many days often would be to break the legs of the criminal so they could no longer push themselves up. Horrific. This is what my Jesus did. When I say this, this is the picture of what this gospel is about. What all that is leads to good news, good news that is better than good news, good news that saves souls, and good news that delivers. As Jesus hangs on this cross, he had not been given a list of things he could not say. He could have said anything, but do you know what he says? He looks down and he says, Father, forgive them. That in itself would preach for the fact that when he was going through the most excruciating and worst thing that he could, but forgiveness was still on his tongue. 
It squares it up for me when I'm having a bad day and I'm having a fit about the guy at the donut shop. One of the criminals, it says in verse 39, who hung there, hurled insults at him. And he said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. When Jesus is present, when people are around the presence of Jesus as a pastor, I notice two things. They either melt in the presence of a Savior or they harden up. I don't want any of that. Or they melt. You have this criminal who's there and he hardened up. But the other criminal rebuked him and he said, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserved. See, these men, as I said, were being made. These were not first-time criminals. These were not guys who had been pickpocketing. These were people who deserved what they were getting, and the government was making an example out of them. Finish these phrases. What goes around? Your past will come back to? If you make your bed, then you got to? Yeah. Right? It's just common. I mean, we all know that. Everything there is a way of saying you get what you deserve. Think of this. Okay, if you've ever driven with me and someone like tailgates me, right? I mean, I just can't. It it flips a switch and I'm just like, like I'm in demolition derby mode or something. I'm like, what are you doing? And especially if I'm going slightly over the speed limit. I'm like, I'm already a criminal for your sake, and now you're, now you're doing this? And then, wait, so this happens, so then the person finally passes you, and they display some uh, sign language, American redneck sign language, right? And then they go forward, and they get pulled over. You know what you do when you pass them. You know, you know it. Right? But commonly, how many of us do that when we see other people get what they deserve? I mean, you won't admit that part because we're in church. And you're like, no, not me. The car part, yeah, I'm with you. But the other part, no. I... We do that. There's this sense that when we see people get what they have coming to them, that that's cool with us. The man said to the other, we are being punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve but this man has done nothing wrong then he said Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom now what I love when I read that is contrasted with Jesus right before he goes to the cross and it is this last supper and we talked about communion how that statement this do in remembrance of me or you have a man hanging on a cross looking at a savior and saying will you remember me And personally, there have been so many times where I've just been like, God, just let me know you remember me. Just let me know that I haven't sunk so low that you don't see me. And so in this moment, you think about this thief who's asking Jesus, who sees him for what he is. This is a thief who could not bow his knees to repent. He couldn't walk down to an altar to say a sinner's prayer because he was attached to a cross. He couldn't raise his hands to praise. He couldn't go through the grow together courses because he would be dying soon. 
He could not develop his spiritual gifts. He could not develop a theology. He couldn't get his master of divinity. He couldn't join a life group. He couldn't have his prayer circle. He couldn't have an opinion on whether a coffee bar is spiritual or not in the church. Yeah, I said it. What he was was a naked, dying man on a cross, unable to even fold his hands in prayer, but he believed. And it's wild how we can think that it's not fair sometimes when people come to Jesus. I'm just being real. When we think, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like... You know how those people acted? That's how the blood works. That's how forgiveness works. But that thief, what he deserved, he deserved death for what he did. How different am I? Check this out. Church kid. Born and raised in the church. Colored on the pews when I was far too old to have crayons. Yeah. I had all of the head knowledge of Jesus Christ that I should have, but I did not have the heart knowledge I needed. You start a story, I could finish it. Knew it all. Went to a school where we memorized most of the Bible, I felt like. There came a point, though, when I needed to embrace who I said this Jesus was. Do you know what I liked in myself? I liked girls and I liked fighting. I don't even have an anger problem. That's the worst of it. Just straight up spider monkey in my blood. <laughs> and there were times that I felt like, okay, you know, I, I was, people prayed for me to be born and it, People would say, you know, all these great things are going to happen, and I would almost get angry. Like, God, I didn't ask to be a miracle. No, I'm just being real with you, right? And like then, so what am I supposed to do? What am I going to do? I spent so much time kicking against it. But like Mike, where Mike LeBlanc is sitting right now, I was sitting there in a service on a Sunday night, and Pastor Nip, he's preaching, he's going, and you know what he does? It's the craziest thing. He looks back, and he's like, Bobby, you are like Jonah, and you need to quit running from God. Goes right back to preaching. <laughs> and I'm looking around like how many Bobbies are sitting back here, and I was the only, I was flat out the only one. But it started making me think, like, are you running? Are you going the wrong way? And it hit me, and here is a truth, that every man and every woman must step into grace willingly. We cannot set it as a trap for people. We can't ambush them. We can't want it more than they want it. They need to step into grace on their own because that's how it was meant to work. In Ephesians 2, it says, like the rest, we were, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. 
I am at a point where I am done playing games. I'm at a point where I want to see Jesus Christ glorified and I want to see people come to him. Imagine if that thief that day when he was speaking and the people who knew him said, I've never heard him speak kindly to another person. Did you hear what he said about that Jesus? Imagine, if you will, for a moment that that thief was taken down, a pardon, a reprieve from that cross. Every single day of his life, he would have thought about that man who saved him. And I say, how different are we? Are we prioritizing Jesus Christ every single day of our life? Because the sacrifice that he made, it's not something for us just to be able to come together in a house. It's something that's life-changing. It's something that's relational. And it's something that's pushing this to places it's never been. The Son of God, he died for my sins. Psalm 103, 10 to 12 says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, thank God nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our transgressions from us. It read this thing and I loved it. It's talking about numerology and scripture. You may wonder, you know, well, what is that? Remember, there were three people on crosses on that hill. Numerology is where there is a spiritual undertone, a spiritual meaning to use of numbers in things that happen. Often you'll hear that, you know, one is about unity, it's God. Uh, four, you see those numbers tied to earth, you know, there's like four earth elements people talk about. Seven is perfection. See that a lot in the Bible. Six, it's like about man. You hear that, you know, the mark of the beast, 666. Eight is about new beginnings. Ten is like involved usually with trials or testing. But three is a number of wholeness or completion. The God that we serve, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God is omnipresent. He is omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing. In Revelation, it said that he was and is and is to come. The grace that I experience is threefold. It justifies, it sanctifies, and it glorifies. The Old Testament talked about the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The tabernacle, when it was built, was divided into three sections. There was the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. When the angels who fly around God is said in scripture, cry out, they cry out, holy, 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 three times. Daniel, who would be thrown into a lion's den, would pray to God three times a day. The apostle Paul was blind for three days. Jonah was in a whale's belly for three days. Jesus, when he was born, was visited by men who brought him gifts, three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When Jesus was 12 years old, he was separated from his family. For three days. His public ministry lasted for three years. He was tempted three times in the desert. Out of his 12 disciples, there were three that were in the inner group, Peter, James, and John. Jesus said to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter denied Jesus three times.
Jesus raised three people from the dead. Jairus' daughter, widow's son, and Lazarus. The Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed three times. Tradition says that he fell three times while he was carrying that cross. He was one of the three that were there. The sign that was above his head was written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. He was placed on that cross at the third hour of the day. At the ninth hour of the day, which would be 3 p.m., he gave up the ghost. He spoke those words that we know it is finished. The earth trembled and there was darkness for three hours. And as the world waits, day one, nothing. Day two, nothing. And on day three, my Savior rose. What's difficult about it is to try to hold in the excitement right now because what I want to do is run the chair backs of the whole church. There are no coincidences. I'm going to say this clearly right now. If you are in this house... You are not here by happenstance. This Savior that I speak of, he died for you as much as he did for me. This gospel story should never lose its power. Every time I hear it, I want it to humble me. I want it to crumble me. I want it to remind me that I am no better than the man who just got saved. going to end on this thought. I shared this yesterday, but I will share it again. Someone that I live near, who I've never spoken to Jesus Christ about, and I'm embarrassed to say it. I was called to pray with So we knelt down beside the bedside. I know the question is there. I've been around Pastor Nip long enough. I mean, good Lord. He just, he's wise. He's, he just, he's got this. You know, and I've heard him ask people, are you ready? But one of the most daunting things at times can be asking someone if they're ready or even entering the room because you don't know what they're going to ask you. You don't know how you're going to represent Jesus. You're scared to death. Your heart's beating out of your chest. How's that for real? You don't want to offend a family. You don't want someone to think you've given up. You don't want, you don't, you don't, you don't. Before we were even able to lead in to Jesus Christ, he turns and says, my God loves me. And he says it again, I know my God loves me. And he goes on to say, I have been speaking with Jesus all week. And I felt like God flicked me in the back of the head right when I was sitting there. Because he doesn't need me but he needs me to represent him. 
and I was called back, and as I'm called back, and the family is surrounding a bed, and we go to pray, the Holy Spirit filled the room. And I'm thinking to myself, my friend that I prayed for that may have never known Jesus Christ up to a very short time ago, imagine someone who has not had the experiences that we've had walking into Easter services for how many years of our life, and this person getting to heaven and Jesus saying, yes. I've been waiting for you and check out the timing of this. This weekend, check out the timing. And so I want to encourage you in this two things. If you do not know this Savior, do not leave this house. Do not leave this house the way that you came. If you know this Savior, and you've kind of made relationship a back burner thing, kind of like I'm in the club, I've got this. Make it real this Easter and make it new. If you'll stand. I'm going to pray. If you are here and you have never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, here's how it goes down. Just like a thief on the cross, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are who you say that you are. I know that this heart doesn't measure up to the way that it should look. Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that those things that miss the mark, that sin is in here. Take it. Be the Lord of my life and make all things new. If you pray like that, if you believe that in your heart, then you will be saved. And everything begins new. But right now, what I want to pray with everyone, is that we take these opportunities. This has been the most insane week, but I don't know that I'd trade it because I feel like God put me through a masterclass this week. Let's pray. Father, right now for every person in this house, I pray that you would remind us of the reason that we are here today. I pray, Lord, that you would remind us that we are no better than that man who hung beside you. And Father, I have the same choice whether to harden my heart or to chase you with everything that's in me. I pray that you will take all the old things and make them new. And today, Father, I speak life over every gathering that we have. I speak life over anywhere that these people go. And Lord, I pray that your grace and your Holy Spirit would fill the room just like it did last night. Because that's who you are. In the name of Jesus, amen.